You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon and welcome to Encyclopedia on this Sunday afternoon, the first day of spring for 2019. And it felt a little bit more like spring yesterday, but that's spring for you. Thank you to Freedom of Species, who will be back next week uh, from 1pm on 3CR. If you want to find out anything more about anything you heard on their program, head to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Follow the links to their program page. Subscribe to their podcast. uh, Follow them on social media and find out everything there is to know about Freedom of Species. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to the Encyclopedia podcast. Uh, this afternoon's program is a special uh, a special program with audio from International Overdose Awareness Day events. Uh, yesterday was International Overdose Awareness Day. Uh, it's a global event held on the 31st of August each year, uh, and it was uh, it's originated in Melbourne as well. Just a little tidbit of information for you. Uh, International Overdose Awareness Day aims to raise awareness of overdose and reduce the stigma of drug-related death. Um, so one of the one of the big things that's felt by families and friends um, of those who have died of overdose is that is that biting stigma, and you can see it anywhere uh, that you look on. Uh, I mean, any any social media uh, comment thread or um, newspaper comment area. Uh, that, that discusses drugs, especially when we're talking about injecting drug use. Um, you'll see the sorts of comments that I'm talking about, uh, dehumanising comments, uh, people that, um, that that really look down on anybody who uses a drug for the sole, uh, for the sole reason of, of the, the fact that they use that drug. But that stigma um, sticks around even after people die uh, young, uh, preventable deaths... Um, that stigma still follows them and uh, it affects their family and friends um, and uh, it's it's the sort of thing that we need to raise awareness to because it is, I mean, drug use is a complex issue. That's what we talk about on this program and that's uh, what we're going to be talking about this afternoon. So you're going to be hearing from a few uh, speakers from the International Overdose Awareness Day event. Uh, there are actually, I think, 46 uh, separate different events, memorials, uh, discussions forums, all sorts of different things uh, going on in just Melbourne alone uh, with events all around the world as well. You can have a look online, overdoseday.com, if you want to find out uh, more of the events that were going on. Uh, just quickly before we jump into that, I want to let you know that this week, uh, tomorrow actually, the Yarra Drug and Health Forum is meeting uh, at 12.30 at Richmond Town Hall. Uh, head along to the Yarra Drug Health Forum meeting for discussions on local drug trends and uh, hear from some of the agencies that are dealing with those issues in the city of Yarra. Uh, also, coming up uh, in just over a week is the uh, Pills, Powder and Smoke Inside the Bloody War on Drugs uh, event at Melbourne Town Hall. Uh, it's a discussion event, also uh, launching Anthony Lowenstein's uh, best-selling uh, book um, on 
the war on drugs pills powder and smoke is the name of the book but there's a uh, all-star lineup as well uh, headed up there by john fain of abc melbourne uh, finishing up at abc melbourne soon as well um so that's coming up uh also just um to keep you in on things it is uh, festival season at the moment, so you'll be hearing a lot more uh, from us over the coming weeks and months uh, about the pill testing discussions. Uh, as we've seen, there have been two separate uh, parliamentary discussions. There was one over the past week, uh, a, a demonstration of the um, of the pill testing technology at Parliament, uh, which was organised by uh, the Reason Party with Fiona Patton, a member for the Legislative Council. And also the week before that, or was it two weeks, it might have been... Two, two or three weeks ago, uh, the Greens with Tim Reid were launching uh, their bill to uh, legalise pill testing. So it's it's a model that um, allows for licensing, licences to be uh, granted to providers to do pill testing in either fixed or mobile uh, site delivery of that technology. Uh, so two separate separate models. We're, we're seeing a lot of momentum around this. Are we seeing the right kind of momentum? Those are the questions that we're going to be asking over the spring and summer months. Um, but right now... Um, and for the rest of the afternoon, I want you to um, listen in to some of the stories from International Overdose Awareness Day and, and consider um, that this is an entirely preventable way that people are dying. Uh, and one of the reasons why we're not preventing it is because we continue to support prohibition and all the pain and misery that comes with that. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR. Before we hear from the event at Richmond Town Hall here in Melbourne, I just want to play you this little bit from uh, the Vancouver City Council. It's their approved safe supply statement, uh, and it was created in collaboration with the Vancouver Community Action Team, and the Mayor will share this with other government partners, including the Government of Canada, uh, to advocate for access for a regulated drug supply, and they're speaking specifically about opiates here. This video includes Indigenous leaders, medical and public health community, people from the medical and uh, public health community, people from the Vancouver Police Department, the Vancouver Fire Rescue Services, community organisations, and people who use drugs. Vancouver is in a state of emergency. People are dying every day from an unregulated, contaminated drug supply. These are preventable deaths. People have been dying for many years as a result of the toxic drug supply. And following a drastic spike in deaths in April 2016, a provincial public health emergency was finally declared. Since that time, thousands of people have lost their lives to a drug supply poisoned with fentanyl, a cheap and synthetic opioid detected in the majority of overdose deaths. Today, drug testing has indicated further contaminants such as carfentanil and benzodiazepines making it more difficult and complex to reverse overdoses. We often hear this crisis referred to as an overdose crisis, but really, we are in a drug poisoning crisis. One of the primary causes of overdose is the contamination of an illicit drug supply. And we believe that future deaths could be prevented if people could access a regulated, safe supply. Drug poisoning is affecting many different people who use different substances for different reasons. It is affecting people who use opioids, people who use stimulants, people who use regularly, and people who use occasionally. People from all walks of life are affected. We are all in this together. 
urgent action is required on multiple levels to prevent further deaths from drug poisoning. This includes advocating for a safe supply, as well as supporting people in their chosen paths to wellness. We call upon health professionals, all levels of government, and the public to join us in advocating for a safe supply of drugs to protect and prevent further loss of our family members, friends, neighbors, and loved ones. It is International Overdose Awareness Day. Um, my name is Jason. I am the brother of Cherie uh, Short, you will hear about in a moment. Um, I won't go into who I am or, or what I'm about. I am, uh, though, uh, an acting principal at the moment at a school in the western suburbs. I live for the kids out in the west. Um, uh, they are a large refugee uh, population um, with diverse backgrounds, multiple needs, and those challenges are fantastic. It is uh, very important that we do uh, pay our respects to the uh, custodians of the land in which we gather today, uh, acknowledge the, the traditional custodians of the land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, um, and pay our respects to their elders, uh, past, present, and uh, emerging. We all come from diverse backgrounds, and we know that uh, with addiction, there is no bias. And with that, uh, this message is of, of course the utmost importance, and we will hear from a range of speakers, from health professions, from the medical uh, world, we'll hear from lived experiences. And with that, we will take from us uh, information that will help us heal for our journey forward, or provide actions on moving forward. We're going to uh, present to you now just a video. Uh, the video is from Johan uh, Hari. Uh, Johan Hari, just before we click play, Nick, is a Swiss-British uh, writer-journalist. Um, he's been published in The Independent and The Huffington Post. Uh, he's also complete, uh, uh, done a TED talk on um, addiction, on the topic of addiction, um, and he's been public uh, his publications uh, do also include The Chasing of the Screen and The Lost Connections. So, Johan was so kind to uh, create this video uh, for us. Shuri's son, Ellie's brother, Aaron Shaw, died of an overdose. And one of the things I know from my work on my book, Chasing the Screen, and that Ellie and Aaron and, and, and Shuri all know or knew really strongly is that Overdose isn't something like the weather, right? It's not just some thing that we can't avoid. We are choosing to let people die of overdoses, we as a society, because we're not choosing the policies that we know improve people's lives. That I've seen in countries all over the world have been trying to massively reduce people's lives. And when a tragedy like that affects you, and I could see the, the, the love that, that Sheree and Ellie had for Aaron that was so profound, and and obviously talking about his friends, Sam and Leah Sims, who, who've also tragically and unnecessarily lost their lives. I could see that, that the grief that comes from it, the grief that is in fact a really deep form of love, and the determination, you know, when, when something like that happens, it can so easily destroy you, and I've seen it destroy many people. But some people are able to take that grief and that pain and use it to reduce the grief and the pain of others. And I'm so happy to support the, the, the Aaron Short Awareness Association and the incredible work that, that they're doing because you are advocating for the things that would mean that this tragedy had not happened and does not need to happen again. You know, Portugal <clears throat> used to have one of the worst levels of drug deaths in the world, um, had a huge heroin crisis, 
they took all the money that they used to spend on shaming, punishing and stigmatising people with addiction problems and transferred it to providing services based on love and compassion and practically turning around the lives of people with addiction problems and what happened. If you look at the figures, the British Journal of Criminology did the most detailed study, there was an enormous fall in overdose, an enormous fall in addiction, an enormous fall in HIV transmission among people with addiction problems. In fact, the change was so extraordinary that virtually nobody in Portugal wants to go back to, to criminalisation. I went and interviewed a guy called Juan Figuera, who led the campaign against the decriminalisation when they initially did it in 2001. He was the top drug cop in the country. He said, this is madness. You know, it will lead to a complete disaster. And when I went to see him 13 years later, he said to me, everything I said would happen didn't happen. And everything the other side said would happen did. And he talked about how he felt really ashamed he spent so many years as a police officer prior to the decriminalisation, making people's lives worse when he could have been turning their lives around. So what I wanted to say to, to, to Cherie and to Ellie and to everyone there who's associated with, with the Iron Short Awareness Association is you should be so proud of yourself. There's going to be a ripple effect with the work you're doing that will save many people's lives. This is a big fight and it's hard and it's easy to get discouraged. Every day we fight is a day we get closer to the day when we have sensible drug policies. And we will get there. It has begun, it's happening all over the world, it's going to continue, but only if we fight for it and only if we demand it. So, uh, on behalf of Aaron, on behalf of all the people who, who live with these tragedies, I want to thank you and I want to urge you to carry on and keep fighting. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. My name is Sheree Short. For the past four years, I have actively supported International Overdose Awareness Day in the community. In 2015, our family became the face of International Overdose Awareness Day in Melbourne's media, only six days after tragically losing our beautiful son, Aaron. It's that beautiful son on the banner over here. It's just gone four years and the trauma still feels as fresh as yesterday. Every day that goes by still has us searching for moments of Aaron. And, only, and time only has us missing him more. A loss of this magnitude is not something we simply recover from. Like most of Australia's drug-related deaths, Aaron's death was accidental, and he will be forever 26 years young. 10 months after losing Aaron, his best friend Sam also tragically lost his life to overdose. The loss of Aaron was a catalyst for beautiful Sam, who was battling chronic depression. Sam became the media focus of the Victorian coronial inquest into overdose deaths in 2016. As mothers, Sally and I never dreamt this type of media exposure for our boys. And recently, only a matter of weeks ago, overdose took another of Aaron's dear friends, Leah, in recovery for many years. Another kind, loving soul who also enhanced the lives of many others. They all did, even while silently dealing with their own demons. So Aaron's story has a common theme. His addiction started with pain medication. 
He was nearly 18 when an accident requiring surgery saw endone introduced into his life. Gosh, I feel so negligent, still do, not knowing what my child had been prescribed. Although fast forward 12 years and my daughter was recently prescribed the same medication after her surgery. Here we are again, no education, no fact sheet or awareness being delivered. Only this time I had awareness from my own experience. Even after prompts to the nurse, it was just follow the script. She'll be fine, she needs it for pain. Endone saw the start of Aaron's addiction being born. At this stage, we weren't to know that Aaron had suffered significant childhood trauma, which had our baby-faced boy escalate from prescription pills to scoring heroin on the streets, all to mask his world of pain. I had already attended the funeral of a young friend, and therefore I knew that we were in for the most challenging time of our lives. The fear we had as parents wreaked havoc, affecting our minds, our bodies, relationships were strained, we isolated from family and friends, not even telling a soul and perhaps years down the track. And even then it was only a couple of family members who knew. This fear had me doing the most crazy things to try and protect my son. I once followed him after he scored. I approached the dealer in the street after he left. This only came up the other day as a memory. I will leave the language and the colourful adjectives to your imagination. But in the middle of the street, adrenaline took over and I made a scene, screaming at this burly tattooed man. Do you know who we are? Do you know who, what family you're messing with? I, I just had all this false sense of... Uh, well, I became feral, actually. <laughs> I said, you don't know the family you're messing with, mate. And the last, that, that'll be the last deal you do to that kid. Otherwise, you'll find out the hard way. That's crazy. <laughs> my craziness must have uh, resonated something in him. As to my surprise, he apologised. Whether he sold to Aaron again, I'll never know. But what he doesn't know is that my family are no underbellies, like I led him to believe. <laughs> the only threat in my family was my mother coming after him with her wooden spoon. <laughs> The same went for abusing dealers down the phone. I would scour Aaron's phone at every opportunity. There were desperate measures for desperate times. I wanted to bring everyone down that was harming him. But in reality, it was Aaron who was causing all the harm to himself. The next eight years would see him in and out of detoxes and rehabs countless times. The first few times being enforced by us. The many times thereafter were of his own accord. We were so desperate for a service to take our child, fix him and put him back on track again, as this couldn't be written into his story. We were so naive about services being accessible. This was another layer added to our trauma and his. We found the Privacy Act to be a massive barrier, one that is actually absolutely necessary, I know. However, as families, there could be more positive, positive outcomes when including the family into the plan of their loved ones. I can tell of many frightening times when Aaron was discharged from places without our knowledge. He would still be very unwell and his risks would be at their highest. Looking back, I shake my head and wonder how he did it. Time and time again he did it. Booked himself into detoxes, rehabs, counselling. Through frustration, we called Aaron weak. It's 
with much sadness and regret now, as I know how much courage, strength and determination it takes to navigate systems and services and all their limitations. My son was far from weak. In the face of adversity, he fought. He fought like hell. Even with his extensive trauma, he'd try and see the good in people. In one rehab, he was taken advantage of when a resident coaxed him into leaving his re resi stay, only to have him robbed and bashed badly. Did not deter him from going back to rehab, Zoe was determined to beat his addiction. Now that's a warrior, that's not weak. Aaron achieved periods where he was free from heroin, which saw him gain self-worth and acknowledge his true potential. For us, these periods were like having the dark cloud above us move for a while, so that we could feel the warmth of the sunshine on our face again. So I can only imagine what it meant to him. Although despite the love and guidance bestowed upon him, all the detox and rehab stays, all the mindfulness and different therapies he had undertaken, the darkness would return and heroin would come back to suffocate every dream and aspiration he had. Quickly we were all reset again, back to being hypervigilant, fearing the worst and getting that dreaded call. I endlessly prayed for the universe to make things right again for him. My tears were many, but I know his were far greater. So it's an understatement when I say that it's been frightening and foreign to go from a family trying to hide addiction behind fear and shame and deliberately coming out and exposing ourselves in public. Never will we have imagined this to affect our family. As the title of the book reads, not my family, never my child, but it was our beloved child. And I no longer feel I have the right to hide behind the stigma and the shame that feeds uninformed opinions. I just have to say, some, some comments are quite disturbing. Uh, you know, it's baffling to think any decent human could wish death upon another just because they're vulnerable. Uh, I realise these come from keyboard worries, but nevertheless, it's, it still is, uh, it, it still affects us. So, anyway, then it's so presumptuous for them to think we didn't raise our child with morals and values, and, and that we ourselves are addicts, scumbags that live on the scourge of society. They don't know how we supported Aaron and given a chance that we would have swapped our lives for his. These opinions keep the stigma alive and well. The same stigma that profoundly hindered Aaron's ability to lead a meaningful life. The stigma that was a barrier to us seeking support for both Aaron and our family. Parents already experience a high level of guilt, remorse and self-blame. So this stigma has people hiding behind shame, reducing the prospect of positive outcomes. Our experience of stigma came from different places in the community, even coming from some health professionals. Sadly, we still feel burdened by it, as there is also stigma around a drug-related death. Aaron's life re represented much more than addiction, and those who knew him knew this. He was so kind and loving, with deep blue smiling eyes, and in the short time he was here, he warmed so many hearts. He was a son, a big brother, to Ali, loving her dearly, but tormenting her very well. <laughs> she wouldn't have it any other way. He was intelligent, a draftsman by trade, who decided to change careers and went off to study AOD. And then I had the privilege of finishing the course for him. It's warming to know that in this life he got to experience true love. He became a loving partner with plans to marry and have a family. Our hearts are broken for the loss of Aaron, 
and for his and our future and for the generations that are stole from us. They were yet to come. The horrible stigma of heroin needs to be dispelled. Addiction to heroin is commonly facilitated by underlying trauma, as it was in Aaron's case. You're not having a party when you're using that stuff. Aaron described heroin as the devil stripping away his soul, trapping and sabotaging his mind, ravaging his body. He said the shame and guilt he felt he brought to his family and friends should have been enough to stop. But he also explained how it was the only way he knew how to cope, even with all his extensive support. He knew the risks were high, but he was willing to take them to ease his suffering. Nearly all of the time he would use on his own, making his risks much higher. However, he never intentionally chose to take his life. He always said, Mum, I won't do that to you. I know that you love me and I won't do, ever do that to you. Many times he'd say he wish he, he would never born and that he didn't want to be here. He'd question, why can't I stop? I'm hurting my family and friends. I realised his trauma was far too heavy for his very gentle soul, but I never let on when I felt emotionally crippled by his defeat. I got up again in preparation for the next step. We were prepared to do anything. Aaron knew heroin was taking away his pain, but he also knew it was causing so much more pain and it was becoming harder and harder to escape. Though his perseverance eventually paid off, giving him a reprieve of over a year in recovery. With the world now at his feet, we watched in awe as his life became richer. It was a beautiful time, one we will forever be grateful for. Healing had begun. He was able to reach out to others, those that also needed a hand up, and was helping out in the community. Our guard was let down and our lives once again became meaningful. So at this stage, never in a million years, did we expect the nightmare that was yet to come. The nightmare that made all our previous experiences feel like a walk in the park. This can happen to our son, it can happen to anyone. Even with the best loving intentions and protective factors in place, a good education and opportunities, it can still happen. It's ignorant to think that families are immune. Addiction does not discriminate and can find a way into anybody's home. Whether experimenting with substance or using it to push down trauma, no one ever sets out to become an addict. In honour of Aaron, I've made a decision to wear a thick skin and face these stigmas. No, it's not going to work all the time. I had a cry this morning. <laughs> Knowing I'm blessed with fantastic supports will be what helps most of the time though. International Overdose Awareness Day is not about delivering an academic exercise. My intention here today is to share with hope that other families don't experience the same pain and, and suffering. And my hope is that the lived experience that you hear today isn't just another story to be told on International Overdose Awareness Day. In honour of loved ones lost, <coughs> let's continue to have this conversation beyond today. We need communities being willing to educate and raise awareness in order to break down this stigma. We need to unite and make these changes to protect our future generations. Families need not lose loved ones to the preventable tragedy of this overdose. On behalf of families like ours, thank you warmly for your support and for listening.
Before I go, I'd also like to thank the other organisers that made it possible to present to you today. A great partnership was formed to deliver this, but it is the friendships formed for the little treasure. drug addict. I am also a daughter, a sister, a friend, a partner, a stepmom, a drug and alcohol worker. I am a left behind partner and best friend to two special angels. I am a survivor of overdose. I am a lucky one. My name is Kayla and I am a human being. My story starts as a young girl in a world full of curiosity and unknown. A life ahead of me with so many questions yet to be asked and emotions yet to be felt. I am currently 28 years old, yet I have had many versions of life so far. <coughs> I have lived a life of addiction for 10 years. By the age of 18, I was a daily poly drug user of heroin, prescription drugs and ice. And no, my gateway drug was not cannabis or having fun, it was trauma. I once read a quote that has always stuck with me. It is not the drugs that make a drug addict, but the need to escape reality. For me, this could not have touched me on a deeper level. The journey of our lives, our search for the light, sometimes finding the light means you must pass through the deepest darkness. At least that's how it was for me. I thought drugs gave me meaning. <coughs> Using was a coping strategy to forget the shame and pain of violence caused around me and to me, the harm that had happened in my world. Drugs were like the air I needed to breathe, yet nothing has destroyed my life more, so abruptly and left me feeling so utterly alone. Addiction has always taken more than it has ever given to me. I have met some of the most amazing people through recovery, but even those people have known the pain of health you could only imagine due to their addiction. I was a broken, angry, shut off from the world and any form of emotion form of teenage person. Scared to find out who I was as a human, afraid to feel. Drugs allowed me to stay alive while I figured out how to find a way to do all of that. Stigma didn't see my trauma, it didn't see my pain, it only saw my broken, skinny body, my pale skin, my glazed over eyes, my unacceptable, unacceptable looking appearance, and that I no longer fitted into what society wanted me to, that I was now classed as a drug addict. I was nothing more. I was no longer Kayla. I was no longer the little girl who was also funny, smart, hopeful, who liked playing outside, who cared about her friends, who loved animals, her family, who dreamt at night too. Unfortunately, the grief of overdose Unfortunately, the grief of overdose has been no stranger to me. Over the past four years, I have lost my partner Aaron Short in 2015, my dear friend Sammy Morrison in 2016, and my best friend Leah Clear only three months ago. You were all so much more than a moment in time. You created time for so many of us and gave us all that we're so lucky to have known you, the greatest gift of all, love. 
Aaron, he gave me a gift. Some, some sorry. Aaron, he gave me the greatest gift of all. He helped me give myself a second chance at life. He tore down my very hard armour. He showed me what it was like to be alive, to make myself strive for goals, to want to live, to want to love, to help me save my own life. You were and always will be a soul of pure spirit, light and love, one that I will honour and hope to continue to make you proud with the way I live, the choices I make and the path I walk on earth. Aaron was passionate, loving, kind, generous, imperfectly perfect, light. He was my hope. Leah, she was also my life-saving angel on this earth. She was my best friend of 60 years. She was one of the smartest, funniest, compassionate, gifted, loving and most beautiful humans I've known. Leah lit up a room and her vibrant essence and energy for life was so infectious. Just being in your presence would light up my world. She was so healing. Sammy, he was just like Aaron. He was so kind, he was so gentle. He offered me companionship when Aaron passed, and he was there even though he was struggling with his own demons at that exact same time that I was. Both Aaron and Leah had bright blue, deep, universal seeing eyes. They remain ingrained in my mind. They led a path into their angelic being. So wise, so insightful. Their beauty was radiant. They truly did light up this earth, and they were the kindness that this world lacked. There will never be words to describe what living with lo this loss feels like. Losing people to overdose has taken me to some of my rock bottoms and I'm not going to sh sugarcoat it today because I guess that is the aim of it, to hear the truth and not judge, to reduce stigma and see the person. Grief has taken me to the room of a psychiatric hospital, to the door of my dealer's car, to the floor of my bathroom, it's had my arms bruised and bleeding, my veins stinging, my head pounding, my heart absolutely broken, my mind shattered and my soul severed from its body. It's had me gasping for air in the middle of the night, screaming at the names of my loved ones while I drive to work, pulled over on the side of the road, not knowing how to get through the next minute without them. My eyes swollen from crying, questioning my own sanity, feeling so lost within my own mind. I have panic attacks and anxiety still. It had me doubting my purpose and the reason of life, wondering why these beautiful souls suffered so much to only have their lives then taken away from them when they were doing so well and before they had a real chance to experience life to their full capacity. When I lost Aaron, Sammy, and then I recently lost Leah, it hurt. I can't put into words how much, my world was completely shattered into pieces that seemed to have been taken by a swift, strong blow of wind and never returned to me. It was like this sharp pain in my chest that wouldn't go away. I didn't want to live without them, and I'm sure many of you understand what I am saying. I was so tired and so tired of waking up every single day knowing I had to wake up the same fate without neither of them. I know that people would tell me that sharp pain wouldn't last forever. Some days it gets dull when I find purpose for myself again, through finding ways to honour my beautiful angels. I get, a, I, I get other feelings that help the sharpness not cripple me today because all the good things that do happen that I never expected just because I held on that little bit longer. 
Yes, my journey has not been perfect. I've relapsed many times along the way because my grief and pain became too much. But I've had people who didn't give up on me, who believed in me, who didn't judge me or put me down because I am what parts of society deem to be bad or a criminal or a waste of community services and money or ethics. Stigma affected me not stigma not only affected me in addiction but also in recovery as I once attended Narcotics Anonymous and I was not classified as clean because I was an opiate substitution therapy, which is also known as suboxone or methadone. It in impacted me in a professional aspect and from a family aspect. I had some of the mental health system from nurses in hospital to the drug and alcohol system such as detoxes and rehabs treat me like I already felt a junkie. They would really enforce my low self-esteem, my judgment on myself, my hatred for myself. They would make me see even more disgust when I would look in the mirror because of the way they would look or speak to me. Oh, here's another one. She's back. It must be a bad batch this week. Some of the comments you would hear. The nurse would say, you're not going to get very far doing those drugs, are you? And I, and I, yes, I understood that. But did they understand me? Did they understand or bother to ask what I needed to overcome what I was going through to start my healing process? I think the hardest part for any person struggling with addiction is coming to the harsh reality that your family may not want anything to do with you anymore because they struggle to understand also the depth of your struggle with your own internal demons, your own trauma, that you may or may not be able to talk about or face within yourself. Therefore, your own judgment on yourself. Having everyone think you had a choice, this is where I believe the core of the issue begins, with educating family and friends first about addiction and how to best help loved ones while they battle their addiction. Stigma affected me in a way that it stopped me from seeking recovery earlier on and therefore being susceptible to more ongoing trauma as I aged. Community labels also hurt just as bad. I've read things under certain articles which state weak junkies need to be kept locked up. Junkies are really just cowards who, are, who have never had to deal with life issues that they most likely have brought on themselves. Fancy being so weak in character you have to rely on chemicals to make you feel like you are worthwhile. You are pathetic, stop playing the victim card. The worst one I pretty much ever had was I had someone say, when my partner passed away, a dead junkie, please. They stopped being a person with reasoning capabilities the minute they became a user. It took me a long time to rebuild my world, to start over and recover from my addiction, but I started slowly day by day. I meditate, exercise, I eat and now sleep regularly. I still at times struggle when days get rough, but today I can say that with the support of professionals, weekly psychologist sessions, loving friends and family, services who see me for me, I have coping strategies and tools that allow me to grow and continue to become the woman I was meant to become. Since being in recovery, I've achieved things such as I've studied, I've rallied into the safe injecting room in which room was approved with Leah, I have done advocating for addicts just like myself, but one of my most proud accomplishments is being involved with the Police Academy and their program called Community Engagement. I was allowed into the Police Academy in Glen Waverley every, 
every fortnight where 70 new recruits would enter their program and begin their training. This program was aimed specifically at targeting and reducing stigma related around substance users and crime on the street. This program, how this program works is the 70 recruits who have read a brief on my story, which practically read out the worst things I had ever done. Um, they, they were then asked to write down anonymously what they thought of me. The recruits were under no impression I would then be walking into the room and would sit for an hour and tell my whole story from when I was a child, including every event in my life that led me, led me to using my first drug what led me to doing crime, what people I had to associate with, what trauma I had sustained, how it made me feel to use the drug, etc. Once I had told my story, the labels of what they had written were read out. Some of the worst ones I heard were street drunk, street junkie, this person is a waste of air, scum of society, should be locked up and not another dollar wasted on them, or um, will go nowhere in life, nothing but a criminal and should be left in the alleyway by the ambulance. But do you know what was so interesting? Once they had put a face to the story and actually got to know me, each recruit at the end came up to me and even though they didn't have to because it was anonymous, they owned what they had said and they apologised. They offered a hug and said to me they will remember this when they are out on the street. And even a couple of years on, I have run into multiple of these people and they still remember, remember my face. It's the beauty and power of a person's story and not judging them before you know them, I believe holds a key to these needless tragedies and health issues. I have now worked in the drug and alcohol sector for two years. It is my passion to help those who have known what it is like to be at the rock bottoms I work alongside some of the most amazing people who have also got lived experience and go above and beyond for these clients we see on a daily basis. I am so proud to work with these people. I am proud of who I am today and what I have achieved. I do this work so that each person knows that they are not alone, they are seen, they are heard, they are special, they are important, they matter and that they do not have to die. I do this also because I want the community to be a kinder place and the only way I have survived this long is because I have had a team of people who have never given up on me, who have rallied behind me every time I have fallen and ensured I can stand again before I take my steps forward. They have held me through my pain and still hold me. I am not judged by them, I am only loved and supported today. I have not been shut out when I make my mistakes, only encouraged to try again and again. I am loved so deeply and so unconditionally. When I think about it, it's an emotion I cannot describe because I never thought that this kind of love existed. The state is invested in protecting people, but the state is an institution made up of people. People who are valuable and biased, so sometimes a system designed to protect us fails. Sometimes it is the largest system of fatal circumstance that puts us in tough situations. We have, to, we have to make hard choices that other people can't understand. Sometimes we are the people who can't understand why someone did what they did or why we have to pay the price for their actions. Often we don't have the capacity to deal with the chaos of life. Often there is no way to prepare for its shocks and blows but if we are perpetually turning away from the things that feel 
too hard to face, we are defining ourselves by what we are seeking to avoid. No one escapes this life without experiencing pain or injustice is a lesson I have learned. And some people, yes, adapt far more hardships than others. If you feel like there is no way out, if you feel hopeless, like no one cares, how do we, how do we restore justice in this world? Which is profoundly unfair. What do we do when we reach the place where we don't know what to do? There is no easy answer, but punishment is not the answer. Giving up is not the answer. We have to find our own answers, and that can feel like it is beyond our strength. But all we have to do first is try. I believe every change starts with individual transformation, and I feel that more positive change needs to stem from awareness and education in the community around addiction and the stigma addiction as isolation kills. This whole concept of people choosing to want to use instead of seeing the person behind the drug and hearing their story and finding a way to help them. Just like I was lost, confused, unaware and, fear and a fearful girl, so are these adults who are using. Neither are bad nor should they be seen as bad. They are just so scared of change or do not know how to find help or how to change or where to access proper help or build up coping strategies. So as a community together, we must help each other try. It should be about unity and breaking down the walls of judgment, educating people who misunderstand and instead of using the safe injecting room as a policy play tool in politics, open more as it's, as it's a point of access to firstly save lives, use in a safe place but also people for, who for the first time in their lives may have access to a social worker, a drug and alcohol worker, nurse, housing worker or proper health workers and be able to link in with supports to get them either to the first detox, rehabilitation treatment centre or on their way to, or, and on their path to recovery. Doesn't everyone deserve that chance? I believe it provided support, guidance, acknowledgement and showing love, care and given a second chance at life, a person just like me could be standing where I am, doing exactly what I am, achieving what I have achieved, recovered like I am, helping people the way I would like to be helping, living just like I am able to live, all because someone believed they were worthy of a life. That to me is changing the world one person at a time to save an Aaron, a Leah, a Sammy. This is all I truly wish for. Everyone lost to addiction is someone's somebody. You were all mine. Thank you for listening and to my angels in the sky, please keep lighting my fire. In September 2016, our beautiful son Simon died. His grief-stricken sister, our beloved daughter Haley, died 12 months later. Like us, she was struggling with the loss of Simon. Their use of alcohol contributed to both of their deaths. Simon was alone in his flat. He hemorrhaged from ulcers in his esophagus 
apparently a common side effect of excessive alcohol consumption. Our daughter Haley suffered a cardiac arrest caused by an accidental overdose of alcohol and prescription drugs for which she was taking for anxiety. Many drink in moderation and that's fine. For some though, this is not so easy or possible. We wish, wish there were more information about the potential harm that alcohol causes, including when mixed with other legal and illegal medications. We sometimes feel there is a very real reluctance to talk about the damage that this legal and readily available drug actually causes, a deadly silence. As parents, we, we were desperate to help and support our children. We sought advice to help them, but we needed help for ourselves too. And it's very easy to look for something or someone to blame when something as awful, as unthinkable as this occurs. And of course, as parents, we blamed ourselves. In the last year of Simon's life, our son tried many times to get help. This took amazing courage on his part. After advice, we went with him to Box Hill, seeking help from the public system. He was put on a waiting list with no time frame. When he got the call offering a place in rehabilitation, he would have only hours to present, no time to give notice to his employer. He was desperate to keep his job, to keep some semblance of normality. How could he do both? After further advice, we approached a private hospital provider. For approximately $20,000, Simon could be guaranteed a place. We could afford it. We were desperate to help him. He was admitted for a month with a month of follow-up. And as part of the program, Simon also attended and contributed to 100 Alcoholics Anonymous meetings. We attended some with him. He was serious about what he wanted. He looked so well physically when he was discharged, but mentally he was still struggling. Later he said, you just don't know how hard it was. We do now. A few months, uh, after a few months, tragically, he, he relapsed and later he wanted to try again to do a home detox. He was living with us at home at that time. The GP gave his Valium to help with the physical symptoms, nothing for his mental anguish and torment. Haley, our daughter, also tried to help him. They both wanted to defeat their individual demons. But again, he succumbed to one more drink. And when you're addicted, one is too many and a hundred is not enough. Sometime later, we took him to St Vincent's. He was vomiting, sweating, shaking from the physical symptoms of withdrawal. He was treated and offered a place in the detox rehab centre there, but only on the condition that he not smoke while there. There is a no smoking policy and that's that. He lasted less than 48 hours. He needed a cigarette. He rang and said, this is crazy, Dad. I'm trying to stop drinking. I can't do both. If only he had a broken leg, his treatment would not have been conditional. A few months later, he hemorrhaged and died alone. As I said many times, we believe our kids primarily had health problems. However, we wish the police had more support available from community and health agencies to do the work we ask of them. We acknowledge the challenges of responding to people who are drug and alcohol affected. We've lived it. We don't believe as a society we need to choose between supporting frontline workers or supporting those suffering from drug dependency. We can do both. What we need is to find solutions to the underlying, often complex causes, and there are no quick fixes. 
We wish there were many, many more detox rehabilitation places to keep people alive while they struggle with their physical and psychological dependence and addiction, and to keep the community safe. We recognise that. It is a long, long journey for the person and their family and their friends. We wish that as a society we better understood the pain that is addiction to both legal and illegal substances. We wish the newspapers, the media could find less judgmental words than thugs, drunks, addicts and talk about our, the way they talk about our family members. The ridiculous politically driven war on drugs <coughs> makes it all sound so simple. It actually helps criminals become richer and draws taxpayers' money to building more prisons rather than health and treatment facilities. It was fantastic to hear about Portugal. And I drove over the West Cape on my way to Adelaide and went past the prisons there. God, how many more are we going to build? It's, it's, I don't know if you've been past there, but I think it's actually a sign that says a prison area now or something. I'm not sure. And of course it costs lives. We need to invest in sensible, intelligent and pragmatic policies. Again, I wish there were more politicians here or some. Only true leaders and informed community can bring about these changes. Please help us, the families and friends, to better help and support our loved ones and to keep them alive. As a community, we have reduced the rates of smoking, the loss of lives on the roads, I think, and our kids deserved no less. Part of the way I dealt with my grieving, which is ongoing, of course, forever, and my wife, Sylvia, who's sitting with me, and contributed to this today. One way that I did it was I wrote a song for Simon. And many of the words are his. And it, it's me talking to him and him talking to me after his death. Hayley loved this song. I apologise for the sound quality. It was done at home. It's not anything professional. Son, I needed to write the song I was thinking for so long Not really sure just what to say My thoughts are tangled in pain Every day Just a hot bit away from a tear Wishing so much you were here Missing you each and every day this empty feeling just don't go away For you every day was a mountain to climb So much life left but so little time Wondering now what more could be done Your demon slain and the battle won Remember, please, 
try to light the lights fire in me Remember please Yes, I tried, yes, I tried, but I just couldn't shake it. I wanted the same, but I just couldn't make it. The last thing I wanted was to let people down, but in the end, it was me that was down on the ground. You know that I cared, but I didn't always show it. I wanted life, but I just couldn't grow it. My mask kept me alive every day Hold me, don't let me slip away No matter how hard you try to disguise I always saw disappointment in your eyes This hurt me more than you'll ever know But I knew I needed to grow But don't judge me, please, I tried With everything I had This is not who I wanted to be I felt my life slip away from me My fire was gone and my life was out I no longer knew what this life was about I love so many and they love me Kept me warm in the cold, precious memories but, but the one that I needed to love, to be free Was the one that I knew best of all And that was me Yeah, that was me I am at peace, you can be sure Don't weep for me, I hurt no more Now is the time to let me go But always remember I'm with you Every day, and I love you so This is In Psychedelia on 3CR 855 AM 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au And you've been listening to a special episode today uh, for International Overdose Awareness Day, which was yesterday, August 31st. Website is overdoseday.com. Uh, the voices you've been hearing uh, were Cherie Short, uh, Kayla, and Ken uh, was, a, was the final speaker there, uh, talking about some lived experiences. These are preventable deaths, and I hope those stories have resonated with you today and further affirmed why we need to end prohibition. Please enjoy your first day of spring today. Queering There is up next, so stay tuned to 3CR and make sure to subscribe to our podcast and find us on social media for regular updates on drug policy, on drug law, drug science, all things drugs, by heading to 3cr.org.au and following the links to the Encyclopedia program page. Enjoy your afternoon.
This has been a 3CR this podcast. You can hear and Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.